0: Good morning, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you today, and to many, this may be your first time ever getting to see me or meet me, my name is Aaron, and as Adam said, I am the campus pastor at our Grayson campus. And as he shared, we have some exciting things happening in Carter County. Here in just a few short weeks on April 9th, we will actually be relaunching as Foundation Church, and so we just want, thank you, yes, and everybody in Carter County and Grayson, oh my goodness, we are just so excited for what God is just really doing in this entire region, and me and my wife, we are just so thankful and so grateful to be, to be a part of it. And so just continue to pray for us, continue to just share the word. If you know somebody in Grayson, Elliott County, uh, Carter County, let them know, hey, we are here for you. But that isn't the only thing that's exciting in in the life of the Rayburns. We are also expecting our third child here on June 2nd. Yes, it's another celebration. Three boys. We're about to uh, be a house full of three boys. Pray for my wife. Uh, especially June 2nd is, is the due date. Man, we are just looking forward to that date. And, and over the past few weeks, in preparation for getting ready uh, for that third child, we just began to kind of go back in time. And we began to have this question that she would ask me oftentimes. She said, hey, do you remember when... dot dot dot?" And what she was really thinking about was, hey, do you remember what it was like to be raising a newborn? or like to have just a little infant, a little toddler, and 90% of the questions, and man, you'll probably agree with me, is like, I don't remember a whole lot. Because a lot of that time, man, there's a lot of screaming, there's a lot of crying, and there's an incredible gift that God has given me to just kind of block out all of that. And so whenever she begins to ask, hey, do you remember when I'm like, no, I really don't. I really try to not dwell on those things at all. But then there are a lot of incredible memories of like, Being able to hold my boys for the first time is something I'll never, ever forget. Uh, There's also a moment where our first child, he was actually jaundiced and had to be put under the lights there. Uh, Just in the fourth day of life, he was, that's where he sat, I couldn't hold him. There's definitely some things that I will never forget, but there's also some things that I really wish I could remember, or at least my wife wishes I would remember, but I just can't. And so it's really funny how our memory works. It's incredibly funny how our our memory works. You see, there are some things that we really don't want to remember, but it seems like we can't forget them. And then our mind also works is that there are some things that we really, really, really want to remember, but then we end up forgetting them. Our mind is so, so strange. This call to remember, we can see it all throughout our society, all throughout our culture. If you were to go to West Carter Middle School, you would see a banner that says eighth grade OVC champs and you will see my name on it. Something that we hope they never forget, right? Always remember. You can go to Rupp Arena, you can see the banners, but then you can go to war memorials and you can see the names of all of the fallen soldiers and veterans. If you go to Auschwitz concentration camp, you'll see these words written on on a plaque right outside. The one who does not remember history is bound to live through it again. All throughout our culture and all throughout society, we see this importance of remembering. But even beyond our culture and society, we see scripturally in the Bible that it is just as important to remember. You see the word remember from the Greek and the Hebrew used over 150 times, all communicating the things of which we should remember and communicating the things that we should maybe even forget. Now here's what's funny in my walk with Jesus is that oftentimes the things that the Bible tells me to forget or to let go of, I tend to hold on to. And then the things of which the Bible tells me that I should remember, I tend to forget. And so you see this trend all the way throughout, all the way throughout our life. And here's what I've found, found in my own life. And where I wanna lead us to today is that oftentimes it is so easy for me to forget all that God has done in my life. Through cultural influences, through life challenges, through temptations, it seems like the enemy is always trying to keep me busy, trying to keep me distracted, kind of trying to keep me just going in a direction that keeps my eyes completely off of who Jesus is and keep my eyes off of all that God has done me and so today I want to focus on the importance of remembering not only what to remember but what remembering builds in us and so if you have your bibles we are going to be going to one of my favorite books of the bible it is the book of titus now you can find Titus by going to Hebrews and then going just a couple books over and you will find Titus, it's three chapters long, but it's one of my absolute favorites. It is a letter written by Paul to Titus and Titus right now is finding himself on the island of Crete. Paul had established a church there and now it was Titus's job to build up the church. But here's what we actually find is that this was an extremely difficult culture an environment to build a church in. It is defined in chapter one of verse 12 that those that lived in Crete were always known to be liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now Paul, you can almost imagine that in this book he actually begins to hear word that the culture was beginning to infiltrate the church. He begins to hear word. Now, if this was today, he'd be like, Paul would be calling up Titus and saying, Titus, bro, what's going on? Like, I'm hearing these things about the church. I'm hearing this thing about the people. What's going on? But instead, he gets some time to collect his thoughts and he writes this beautiful letter to Titus. But he sees that there's almost this blending of everything that Paul had taught them and then, this, what well, the culture was continuing to impress upon them. We've seen the two were colliding. And through this letter, Paul was telling Titus that, hey, man, you have got to raise up a group of people. You have got to straighten this thing out. Because right now, the gospel is looking very, very unattractive to all of those in Crete. And, four, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of those on Crete, we have to write this ship. We have to write this ship. Why do I love this letter so much? Why do I love this so much? Because I believe it meets us, so many of us, in the same struggles and in the same calling that we face today. From the cultural influences we face, to a struggle of how to interact and engage with our world, to a forgetfulness and a pride that has taken us away from the very heart of Jesus. They, like us, were called to live the, live a way in which made Jesus compelling to the outside world. But how, how, might you ask, could they live this way and be agents of change in such a corrupt culture? They were called to remember. Now, we are gonna be picking up here in chapter three, verse one. They were called to remember. Now, there's, in, if you look at verse one of chapter three, he begins, Paul begins this chapter. He says, remind, remind them. Now, this word is extremely important. This is Paul telling Titus, hey, remind the church. So whenever Paul tells the church, or when Titus tells the church, he's gonna use the word, he's gonna say, hey, remember. Now, this isn't just one instance the way in which this word is written becomes so important and sets the context of it. What I communicate here today isn't just something that you hear one time. And he's telling the same thing to Todd to say, hey, this is something to constantly be remembering, constantly be reminding the church of these things. So set the context that this isn't just once that we should hear this truth, but this is something that should be constantly living and reminding In us, remembering in us. What does he call them to remember? In verse one, he begins, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. He was calling them to remember, to live obedient and kind lives. And he's seen this by... First submitting to all authorities, to the government, to to the officials, and even to children, your parents, to the church, your pastors, the wives, to your husbands, to the boss, your police, God. Everybody submit to the authority and then be ready for every good work. To sum it up, Paul was saying, be the best citizens in Crete. Be the absolute best citizens in Crete. Let nobody say an ill word against you because of your incredible kindness towards them. And whenever people see your acts and people see the way you're living, may they just say in their minds, there's something different about you. This is the call. Paul's words, though, come at a time and come to real people. And Paul, before the Cretion can say anything or have any sort of rebuttal, Paul already sets the stage and says, I know what you're gonna say. The people that we're dealing with on this island, I know, they're crazy. They're a little bit crazy. I know their ideas may seem so out there. We understand that they are like difficult to love, that they're even antagonistic, that they may even be abusive to the things that you're doing or may even not receive it. I get all of that. But Paul, but Paul humbles everyone on Crete. He humbles the church by beginning with himself. If we look at verse three, he gives these profound words. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another he was giving this incredible call to remember what you used to be. He says to the church, if you are going to behave genuinely, authentically as godly people towards others, Paul knows that they need to remember what they were before they met Christ. That they acted in the same way that these people do. Paul would have been the one to speak life over, over this because he would have established this church he would have been able to have been the first one to experience life with the first converts on this island. And so he says, remember what you used to be. He says, we're essentially all made of the same stuff. We're all made of the same stuff. And honestly, we would still be acting like that except for one glorious truth that Paul lays out for the church. He goes on in verse four, he says, but when the goodness, oh my goodness, but when, this is so powerful, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, Jesus, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can see he sets the stage. He says, remember to be obedient and live kind lives. He says, remember what you once used to be. And then ultimately, then remember when God saved you and how he changed you. In verse four, we see the incredible kindness and love of God poured out, that he literally reached out to us before we ever reached out to him. In verse five and six we see salvation not because of our works but because of God's mercy. When we were in the place described in verse, verse three that we didn't rescue ourselves. Paul is communicating that he saves us and this is one of the greatest distinctions of the entire gospel that he saves us. And Paul continues to tell them that we see salvation as our rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That we are reborn, regenerated, recreated, restored. Not perfect, but forgiven. Just as water washes the dirt off our bodies, Paul says, so the Spirit cleanses us from our sins. And in verse seven, we see that we have been justified by grace, we have been made heirs and now have the hope of eternal life. First John 3.1 says it this way, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Paul says, this is our hope, church. This is our hope both now to be with God and to live in eternal peace and favor with him. And in verse eight, he continues on. He says, the saying is trustworthy. Everything that I have just spoken, from four through seven, this is like one of the greatest pictures of the gospel. When he is communicating, this is trustworthy. This is something to put your life, to live your life for and to build your life on. And he tells Titus, I want you to insist on these things, to insist on these things, to continue to remind them, to remember these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful of how they live to devote themselves to good works. And he finally concludes that these things are excellent and they are profitable for the people. Paul's greatest heartbeat And his greatest hope was that those on the island of Crete, that they would come to know and realize the incredible work of Jesus. To receive it, to believe it, and to see their lives radically transformed. And so this call to remember wasn't just to have a reminder, to have a new stamp to put above their doors, but was to build something within them, was to build something, something within them. Why this call to remember? Not for the sake of others, but what it builds inside of us. There are four things that I believe that remembering it builds inside of us that is so profound and that will radically change this region. It says the first one, that remembering, remembering builds gratitude for how God changed us. Why is verse three in our text? Why is verse three here? It's because I believe that the foundation of gratitude in all of our lives, the foundation of gratitude in all of our lives is a recognition of sin. It is the literal recognition of sin in our life. And you can go through this, hey, just to be honest, we can all be on the same page here. Let's go through this list together and let's just see if you find yourself. Do you remember when we were once foolish? We didn't know God until our foolish heart was darkened. Hey, do you remember when we were disobedient, living for ourselves and whatever furthered our interests? No authority to God. Hey, do you remember when you were deceived, when you didn't understand spiritual truth, you felt enlightened, you lived by your own set of rules and laws and believed that we could violate God's law without any harmful conf- consequences? Do you remember when? We were once enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Here's why sin is so tricky. At first, it seems like it'll meet all of our desires. When you think about sexual gratification, it feels good. When you think about drugs, they make you feel good. When you think about drinking, it dulls the pain of problems and pressures. When you think about money, you believe that money can satisfy you and the desires that you have, but here's what we find at the root of all of those pleasures. And those lusts that we have is that they enslave us, they destroy us, and here is what is the truth of all of us, that it leaves us empty. Then he continues on. Do you remember when we once spent our lives in malice? We once spent our lives in envy and we were once hateful. Do you remember when we put ourselves above everybody else, that we put our own desires above everybody else? Do you remember when? Because he is profound here. He says, we were once. And it is that same, I remember. Paul is going through this list, not as condemnation, but as empathy. He says, I remember when, do you? Do you remember when? Why do so many of us live without gratitude? And this is is so much me preaching at myself. Why do I live so often without gratitude? And I begin to pray about this and think about this. I really believe within our culture here and especially in the context of Carter County, Round County, Boyd County, here is what I believe is that it is the illusion of good. It is the illusion of good. Maybe you're thinking as we read through this list, well, Aaron, I was never like all of those terrible things that you described in verse three. Listen, I even grew up in church. I even read my Bible. I even pray every once in a while, at least over a meal. I'm pretty good. Let me tell you something. I'm gonna get on your level. I have grown up as a pastor's kid Now listen, you all know about Pastor's Kids, we're like the best people ever. Amen, that's right. You know this, you know this. We are the goodest, I'm just kidding, we are are really good people, no. Listen, I have sat in more church services than any other 30 year old in the state of Kentucky. Sunday morning, Sunday night, oh no, I'm sorry, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then whenever the Lord says, hey, it's time for that full week revival, I was there the whole time. I have continuously found myself in church. But here's what you find, is that every single thing that is on this list, I can agree with. And there are two people in my life that can confirm it. Two people in my life that can confirm it. My mom and my wife. If you were to ask my wife Emily right now, I said, hey, is Aaron a good person? Oh my goodness, she'd go to the moon describing how great I am. If you asked my mother, oh my goodness, she would not stop bragging about me and how good I am and how lovely I am, how handsome I am. She would have all the words to say. Let me tell you something about my mom. My mom knows me. She knows all the times that I have wronged her. She knows all the times that I have said something bad. She knows all the times that I looked at things that I never should have looked at. She knows all the times that I was disobedient. She knows all the times that I did not honor her. And if you said, hey, does Aaron fit this bill? She would probably say, yeah, yeah. Now, it gets even worse. If you were to ask my wife, my wife, if she could really peel back the surface, she could really peel back the layers, she would begin to tell you of all the times that I put my needs way before hers. She would tell you of all the times that I was just selfish in my actions. She can tell you of all of the times where I have let her down or I have felt her it is these two people and you have the same ones in your life is that to the world, you may have this perception or this illusion that you are good and I believe the enemy wants to continue to keep us, especially at the church, within this illusion that we are good but there are at least one or two people in your life that know you and they know that deep down within that we fit the same description that Paul has outlined here. That isn't to bring guilt and shame in your life. Hear me. Paul is not communicating these words to bring guilt and shame into your life. That is the enemy. The enemy brings guilt and shame into your life. You understand that? And then begins to chain you down with regret. When you begin to feel guilt and shame by remembering that is not of God. He may convict you, but he is always faithful to those who repent. Romans 3, 10 through 12. If you just don't believe me, yet, It describes the human race that there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Listen, God's grace in saving you and in saving me was not a matter of taking a basically good person and giving you a little bit moral guidance or advice. You are not the first exception to those verses. And here's what I wanna tell you today is that you will never understand or appreciate God's amazing grace until you see that you and me, we're all made of the same stuff. That we are a lost sinner before he intervened in our life. And that leads us to the second thing that remembering builds within us, is it builds humility. Remembering builds humility as we see that it was his work, not ours, that changed us. Oftentimes we just forget. Over time we begin to believe and think that we have somehow saved ourselves. We point to our goodness, we point to our service, we point to our works, we point to our church attendance, we point to everything and everybody but Jesus. Our deeds versus God's kindness, love, and mercy. Now for many years, this was how I seen God. I essentially seen my life as being lived and based off of two boxes, the good box and the bad box. And I seen God as just the umpire of the two. Every single time I did something good, I'm like, yes, checkbox. And then every time I did something bad, I'm like, oh no, checkbox. And I had this sense of who God was that he was essentially at the end of my life gonna compare the two boxes. And that my goodness had to be better than those things that I had done wrong to him and to the world. And I began to just feel and believe that it was then based on my works, based on my righteousness, that I was saved. For years, this is how I've seen God. But over time, praise God, it was God's love that led me to repentance. Paul is bringing us to the very heart of salvation, of our salvation, the mercy of God and the work of Jesus, it is his work, not our own self-improvement plan. I began to have more and more confirmation of this in my life, and this wasn't something that just came to me once. It's something that I've continued to grow in and learn over time, his incredible love for me. And uh, two weeks ago, me and my wife, we took off on a Friday night, headed to Asbury. We wanted to be and see the revival And so we got there about 9 p.m. and and stood in line for three hours and then finally got into the room at 12 o'clock at night and stayed there till 2 a.m. It was wild for me and Emily, especially, I mean, she was unbelievable, Uh, just pregnant and standing there. But we just wanted to be there. We wanted to be there. And I wouldn't even say there was something that we wanted to experience. I just wanted to be in the room where something different was happening, where the perception was different, where God seemed to be evidently moving in a mighty, mighty way. I can't shake it and I can't forget it. We would begin singing and worshiping just two words in and the worship leader would guide and then the whole place would erupt. And I went home and I began to study what happens in revivals, why do revivals happen? And you see, in this particular instance, it just happened because there was a chapel service and at the end of it, confession began to happen. And prayer began to happen and praise began to happen. All throughout history, here's what you find in revivals, is that there is a great awakening that takes place there's a great awakening that takes place. Imagine this, imagine being a Christian your entire life. Imagine going to church your entire life but never really seeing Jesus. Imagine that. This is what revival is. This is what it means to have an incredible awakening. It is literally as if seeing Jesus for the very first time for who he is and what he has done for you and for me. This is the revival. It is not based on their works, it is not based on their goodness, but it is only based off of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and me. Here is what is so important about this. Who do we then exalt? We do not exalt ourselves, but we only exalt Christ. Just seeing him for the first time, they fell in love with Jesus and they couldn't not follow after him wholeheartedly but beyond gratitude and humility, remembering it builds kindness towards others who are in the same place. You see, our good works that that Paul communicates in verse one and two, they have to come from the right motivation. They have to. If we are gonna reach this world, our motivation to reach them has to come from the right place. And it begins with gratitude and humility. Gratitude, here's what it does, is it leads to these two incredible motions. It leads to compassion and empathy. It leads to compassion and empathy. Gratitude for, for others. It's easy, It's easy. I know. It's easy. and I've seen so many conversations that have erupted in this. It's easy to become angry at the world. It's easy to become hostile to the world. It's easy to complain about the world. It's easy. And oftentimes you'll say these three words that I just don't understand. I just don't understand, that's four words. That's what you'll begin to say. And you know that they in Crete were saying the same thing. I just don't understand how you could live that way. I just don't understand how they could act that way. I just don't understand what's happening to our nation. You don't understand? You don't understand? Oh, how easily we forget. You see the preface? To kindness is gratitude and humility so that you can see others in a different perspective. You see others as you once were. We need to remember that we used to be just like they are. We need to serve others out of remembering that others are in the same place that we used to be. And here is a fact, that oftentimes, the only evidence that the unsaved world has, the only evidence that the unsaved world has that we belong to God is oftentimes our godly lives. And oftentimes, here's what we find, it's difficult, To live in this culture at times, it's difficult to be kind, it's difficult to be gentle. And so here's what oftentimes with the church, we just become passive. We just become passive in our walk. We'll say, hey, we'll take the salvation, and I'll take you, Jesus, but I don't know if I can connect with anybody else. I just don't know if I can be kind. And there's these words that begin to come to my own heart. Aaron, if you believe that and that's how you see other people, then how is it even possible that you have even received the incredible work of Jesus? Have my eyes really been open to what he has done if I can't see others with empathy and compassion to see myself within them? With the correct remembering, it's possible. And he's called us to give our lives to do what is good. And listen, what we do that is good in this world is often the platform that opens the door so that we can tell lost people about the kindness and love of God who sent his son to be the savior of all that believe in him. And lastly, remembering. Remembering it builds faith. It builds faith that God can change those who are in the same place that we once were. There's these words that he proclaims. He says, for we ourselves were once, but, but, God's goodness, God's mercy, and his kindness was outpoured on our lives. Listen to this, you need not believe that it is hopeless. You need not believe that it is hopeless to imagine that these people that your families, that your friends, that our counties, that our region, that our nation, that our world, you need not believe that it is hopeless that they can be reclaimed. Why? Because we ourselves are a living proof of the power of God's grace. We are living proof. Listen, listen to this. Do you remember? Do you remember? Remember, you are free and there is freedom for those in the same place that you once were. For those who are walking now in recovery, remember, there is hope for the addicted. For those who are walking in freedom from pornography, remember, there is hope for your brother. Remember, those who are now walking free from the lusts and pleasures that once enslaved them and trapped them, remember that there is hope for those who are currently enslaved, for those who realize their goodness couldn't save them, remember there is hope for the good person, for those who have found their identity in Christ, remember there is hope for those who are consumed by their identity. For those walking in freedom from suicide, remember there is hope for the hopeless. For those walking in freedom from alcohol, remember there is hope for the alcoholic For those walking in faith in Round County, remember there is hope for those who don't know Jesus. For those walking in faith in Carter County, remember there is hope for those who don't know Jesus. For those walking in faith in Boyd County, remember there is hope for those who do not know Jesus. Why? Because I believe that if God can do it for me, then he can do it for them within that, that gives me faith. That gives me hope. That gives me hope for my kids. That gives me hope for the church. But I promise you, in the words of Paul, that we must constantly be reminded. We must constantly remember, for we were once but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Today, I believe that God can do the same. One of my best friends, we've, every single week, we get to just continue to share the story of of him reaching out to his friends. Every single week, he'll come in and we'll get to talk about how God has just been moving in his life and in the life of his friends. See, right now, he is the only believer out of his group of friends that he has had for 15 years. And oftentimes, he'll come in and say, man, I don't know if I can keep, if I can keep hanging out with them. I don't know if I can. Uh, they just do some stupid stuff. <laughs> and they just make me really mad. And they say things that just kind of really gets under my skin. And then that same week that he begins to communicate those frustrations, you know what he finds the next week come in? He said, man, you won't believe what we talked about this past week. Man, you won't believe how this like YouTube video that we were watching ended up like leading to a spiritual conversation. And week after week, we begin to share. And week after week, we begin to pray. And week after week, we begin to continue to see hope. This past week, we were talking about the sermon. He was sharing some of those frustrations and and I began to share with him, I said, I know, I know. And I'm starting to smile, right? I know, it's hard. I know, man, it's difficult. I know what you're going through. I can't really understand it. And I know that there are some friends, man, they're difficult and they're hard to love. I know, but remember, I said, man, You remember where you were four years ago? You were in the same place. But I said, man, look at you now, look at you now. Look at what God's doing in your life. Look at how God is moving in your life. Let me tell you something, let me tell you something. There is hope, there is hope for your friends. There is hope for those that you love. There is hope for your families. There are hope for those that get put in your life. Listen, every single one of us, if we profess Jesus as our Lord, every single one of us need a friend who doesn't know Jesus because we need to continually be in remembrance of what he has done for us and how he has changed us and live not in pride, not in arrogance, but live in gratitude, live in humility, live with a life that leads by kindness and leads ultimately with faith that God can change their lives because he's changed mind. And maybe today, maybe today you, you're walking through this, and maybe today you have some people in your life that are difficult to love and difficult to reach. And we just wanna continue as a church to lift you up in prayer, stay encouraged. Paul's whole letter to Titus was a word of encouragement, to don't lose heart. And I wanna do the same today. Don't lose heart, have faith. But also know that today you may still be in verse three. The words for we were once is not true yet. You're still enslaved. You are still in that list. You are still trapped by your sin. And today we wanna proclaim that in the same way that Jesus has set me free and so many others free in this room that he can do the same for you, and we encourage you, we encourage you to call out to him, we encourage you just to reach your heart out to him and say, listen, this is what I am, this is who I am, transform me, change me, have me, God, I am yours, because I believe what your son has done for me. Listen, this message is one that's just been on my heart. And when I believe that in this region, that if we can constantly remember the goodness of God in our life, that the Lord will continue to move in a mighty, mighty way. So I'm gonna ask for just for a moment here, would you just bow your head with me at all of our locations? And I'm gonna ask you today, number one, at all of our locations, would you just bring to mind that person that person that you have just been struggling with, that person that you've been just trying to reach out to, but you just continue to see wall after wall after wall, would you just bring them to your mind? Lord, in all of our locations, we give them to you today. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to move in a mighty, mighty way, that you would continue to open up doors, that you would continue to give us faith to pursue them, continue to work within us, Lord. And then secondly, today, I just wanna encourage you. We have rooms in all of our locations called the Next Steps area. And in all of our locations, there are people there that want to pray with you, that want to encourage you, and that if you are struggling right now, and verse three is where you stand, and you want to receive what Jesus has done for you, here's what I encourage you to do. After, all of, after our service, immediately go to the Next Steps area. They wanna pray with you, they wanna encourage you. Father, we thank you for bringing us into your house today. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord, over our lives. We thank you, that Lord, that your writings, Lord, to Titus are still connecting with us right here today, Lord. May we leave this place full of gratitude, humility, ready to do kindness to those that we meet, Lord. And may we do everything and live in such a way that faith, how we are known and faith is how we live. Thank you for being here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you took a next step today, we would love to get to celebrate with you. So please let us know at our website, betterlife.church slash next steps. And to stay connected with